I'll begin reading in verse number 12 down to verse number 14. Ruth chapter 1, verse number 12. Naomi says to Orpah and Ruth, Turn again, my daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Ruth becomes a tremendous example to us of how to interact with someone who is bearing the burden of bitterness and how we can fulfill Galatians chapter number 6 and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so from Ruth's example and how she loved and clave to Naomi, I would like for us to consider this evening how we can help a brother or sister bearing the burden of bitterness, how we can help them to bear that burden. As we've mentioned before, uh, and we've heard this from other preachers too, it's been said that adultery is slain its thousands, but bitterness its tens of thousands. Based on sheer numbers, <clears throat> all of us at some point in our Christian life are either going to battle with bitterness in our own heart, or we will interact with a brother or sister who battles with bitterness. And I'm glad to tell you this evening that from the beautiful story of Ruth, she helps to show us how to do that in a way that honors the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you strengthen us as we look at this passage of Scripture this evening. I pray that you would deepen uh, our heart of compassion uh, as we interact with one another and that we would grow in our love and our desire to serve one another, even in this way, though it may be difficult at times. But I thank you, Lord, for the help that your word gives to us, and above all, the help that your spirit gives to us. And so strengthen us tonight, and may we learn some very vital lessons from Ruth's example, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. A 1985 Reader's Digest article recounted that there were reported times when rattlesnakes cornered, threatened, angered, frustrated, and disoriented would actually bite and poison themselves. Now, the lesson is stay away from rattlesnakes. How many of you would agree with that? Okay, if you have a cornered rattlesnake, back away. Don't antagonize and yet, there are times, in all seriousness, when a brother or sister affected by the poison of their own bitterness need a loving friend to be willing to step in and to help bear the burden of their bitterness, to help bring them through to a cure. Taking the wonderful example of sweet, gracious Ruth and her interactions with bitter Naomi I'm glad for us to understand this evening that not only is that possible, but we can see from Naomi's example or story how effective that kind of help can be. I want you to notice the first way that we can help bear the burden of bitterness in a brother or sister. And this comes from chapter number one, but this, 
Avoid the offense. Don't take up their offense. If there's been an offense in their life that has caused them to become bitter, to respond in bitterness, to give in to the temptation of the sin of bitterness, the worst thing that we can do is take up the offense for them. But rather, we see in Ruth's example that she refused to do this. As you think of the story as a whole, and especially chapter number one, Naomi was bitter at the loss of a husband, bitter at the loss of two sons, likely bitter at what she thought were wasted years. And as you see her attitude, she blamed God for her experience. Ruth had experienced loss herself. She was a young widow, having lost a husband in the early years of their marriage, and yet Ruth refused to take up the offense of bitterness against God like Naomi did. In fact, it's fascinating to me as I think about Ruth, it's apparent that she would rather have as her God the God of a bitter Naomi than the God of the Moabites, Chemosh. Keep your hand here with me and look at Psalm chapter number 15. Psalm chapter 15. Interestingly enough, here is a psalm written by Ruth's grandson, David. And David makes an interesting statement as he's given guidelines and instruction for worshiping the Lord. Notice Psalm 15 and verse number 1. David asks the question at the beginning of this psalm, Lord... Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And then he gives some qualifications. If I'm going to be able to enter the presence of the Lord, notice this, he that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. Verse number three, he that backbiteth not with his tongue nor doeth evil to his neighbor. And then notice this, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Refuse to take up an offense. I'm reminded of several verses in Proverbs as well. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 1. My mother's life verse. A soft answer turneth away wrath. You know when you interact with someone who's bitter and they get triggered, they can many times lash out with angry or harsh words. And they don't need someone to put them in their place. They need as... Solomon said in Proverbs 15, and as Ruth would model, a soft answer. That's what turns away wrath. I think about Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 9, where Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the what? The children of God. It's the idea of recognized and identified. Hey, that's someone who comes from the family of God. Someone who, as Paul would say in Romans chapter number 12, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse number 20, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the word talebearer speaks of a whisperer, someone who even by quiet means keeps an agitation going. Okay, So where there's no tailbearer, the strife ceases. It's the idea of that strife ceasing. It's the idea of it goes quiet. It goes silent. You remove the wood from the fire, the fire's going to do what? Go out. 
And that should be our motive when it comes to interacting with someone who's bitter, who's looking for an ear, if you would, someone to take up their offense. Solomon would go on to say in verse number 21, as coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. In other words, a person who keeps something going, the Bible describes them as contentious. But our heart should be, if we're going to help someone who's bearing the burden of bitterness, battling with bitterness, our heart should be to avoid the offense. Don't take it up. Several years ago, because we had burned some wood that season in our fireplace that was a little wetter than it should have been, uh, there was a lot of the ash and soot that had collected and stuck at the top of the chimney. And one night I was stoking a fire maybe three years ago and all of a sudden this sound like a jetliner going overhead began to sound. And I noticed that the fire in the fireplace was looking more like a furnace instead of just a nice fire in a fireplace. It was sucking and getting big and drawing flames clear up the chimney. And I found out we had a chimney fire. I went outside and looked, and I kid you not, it was dark. Our chimney looked like a giant sparkler. Sparkles and fire pouring out the top. There were flames coming out the top of the chimney. And uh, Jenny asked if a jet was going overhead. I said, I wish it was a jet. Call 911. And uh, she did. And by the time the fire department got there, I had taken it just in desperation, not knowing what else to do. I had taken a shovel, and piece by piece, I had carefully taken each of the pieces of the burning wood out of the fireplace, balancing on a shovel and throwing it out the back doors off the deck. By the time I got there, the fire was out because I had separated the wood. The fuel had been removed. And one of the best ways that we can help a brother or sister battling with bitterness is to remove the fuel. To avoid the offense, don't take it up. A second way that we can help a brother or sister battling with bitterness is to continue to walk in faith. To continue to walk in faith. As you remember from last Sunday night, Naomi was being faithless in her perspective. She was seeing risks. She was seeing impossibilities. Uh, we're destitute, there's no way we can be helped. I can't provide sons for you who will be your husbands according to the Old Testament Jewish law. And uh, so you might as well go back to Moab. But one of the things that I noticed about Ruth and how she helped Naomi is that even when Naomi, through her bitterness, developed clouded, a clouded vision or perspective of God, she began to see God in a skewed way, a warped way, a God who was vindictive instead of chastening in love. Her vision was clouded. She had lost faith in him. She had lost sight of what God could still do. All she saw were risks to these two Moabite women going back to Israel. All she could see were the impossibilities there's no way out of this for me or for you. And all she could see was that God was against her. So she's seeing impossibilities. She's seeing risks. And by the way, they were very real risks that Naomi, or Ruth, pardon me, was taking on by going back. But I love this about Ruth. She continued to walk in faith. 
keeping her perspective on the character of God, God's word and plan, God's sovereignty and the goodness of God. Though we have no record of her saying it, I am sure that one of Ruth's watchwords would have been, God is so good. He is so good to me. Though it would become more explicit later on in the story, Ruth's faith in God is one of the most beautiful demonstrations of trust in all the scripture. She was not born as an Israelite. She was a Moabite who God in the Old Testament had excluded her people from coming into the congregation of the Lord to the 10th generation. It was a beautiful picture of faith that even though God was poorly represented by one of his own followers, Naomi and Elimelech and Malon and Kilion, even though likely poorly represented, she saw enough of the Lord and trusted in him enough that she was going to go back no matter what. And she was going to cling to Naomi. I love what she says in beginning in the bottom of uh, the, the latter part of chapter number 16. She says to Naomi, Thy God shall be my God. And where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. Verse number 17, The Lord, notice she calls him by his personal name, not just referring him to the generic term of God, but the Lord, Yahweh, do so to me and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Basically what she's saying is if I break this vow of loyalty, this covenant to you, then I'm asking the Lord to take my life. That's how serious she was about this. She would demonstrate the importance of walking in faith by in chapter number two, launching out to look for grace. Can I ask you this? Who finds grace? I found one. Okay. Who finds grace? Noah found grace. People that look for it. Okay, that humble themselves to receive it. And let me just say this, very generally speaking, but clearly speaking, God's grace is abundant on everybody. Okay. I love what Boaz said in chapter number 2 and verse number 12, that first day in the field. He says to her, the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the, the Lord God of Israel. And notice this statement, under whose wings thou art come to trust. What a dramatic turn it was. And, and this, I had never put this together before. Again, that's not saying much, but it excited me in the final hours of preparation for the message this evening to realize as Ruth demonstrated her unbroken trust in the Lord, how that impacted Naomi. Naomi, who on the night of the first day that they return, would say to the people of Bethlehem, the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? First conversation, the first day back in Bethlehem. As you follow the chronology of the text, it's apparent that chapter number two is the morning of the next day. Ruth gets up and she says to Naomi, let me now go and glean in the field in the sight of him who's, or in, in the sight of him who I'll find favor. And so Naomi lets her go. 
Ruth goes that first day. She finds favor and grace in the sight of Boaz and comes home at the end of the what I sense is the second day. And I want you to notice what Naomi's response was. You want to talk about the power of walking in faith. The powerful impact that we can have as we help to bear the burden. Notice verse number 20 of chapter 2. This is the end of the second day. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord. Now, now remember, this is the lady who the night before had said, The Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. I went out full. The Lord hath brought me home again empty. The Lord hath testified against me. The Almighty hath afflicted me. It's apparent that the very next night when she sees the abundance that Ruth brings home and how Boaz has dealt with Ruth, it's apparent to me this tremendous change took place the very next night. Notice verse number 20, And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to who? The living and who? The dead. All of a sudden, do you see what's happening? She's starting to delve back into some of the events that had been the seedbed of her bitterness. And she's recognizing that God is helping to heal. God is doing a work even as it relates to the name of Malon and Kilion and Elimelech for the future. Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. Naomi said unto her, the man is near of kin of us. So what a transformation takes place, this dramatic turn, because Ruth walked in faith even when Naomi's vision was clouded by her bitterness. She continued to testify of the goodness of God and His grace and to seek for it and to demonstrate trust in the Lord even when the circumstances of life were not favorable and what an impact it had on Naomi. I read this week of a little girl who was going on her first train journey and apparently she was from out west where everything was gorges and valleys and raging torrents of rivers. And on her first train journey, this little girl was scared and her mother tried to calm her. It's going to be okay. And she's thinking in her mind, how are we going to get across the gorges and the difficult places and the mountains? How are we going to get through all of those difficult places? And the mother would just calm her and say, just wait and see, just wait and see. As the train took off out of the depot and they began to pass through the mountains and pass over valleys on bridges, the little girl was heard to exclaim, someone has made bridges all the way. I want you to know that our God has made bridges all the way. And we can walk in faith in that. Thirdly, a third way that Ruth helped bear the burden of Naomi's bitterness so that she could move through to cure was she clinged to her or clung to her in love, even when Naomi at the first pushed her away. It's one of the most amazing statements in the book of Ruth, that Ruth clave unto her, verse number 14, and she said, behold, this is now Naomi speaking, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods, talking about the gods of Moab, return after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said unto her, entreat me not to leave thee 
or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also. Ruth clung to Naomi in love, even when Naomi was pushing her away. Naomi's bitterness was pushing away those who loved her the most. The proverbial person who's drowning and flailing in the water and you try and throw a life preserver to them and pull them into the boat and the very person that you're trying to save is fighting against you as you're trying to save them. Orpah went back. And it causes us to shudder in our hearts to think about how Naomi's bitterness motivated Orpah to go back to Moab. But Ruth, but Ruth would not be pushed away. I love her appeal. She said, entreat me not to leave thee. The word entreat literally carries with it the idea of be not against me in this matter. I love Ruth's resolution. I love her seriousness. I won't take a long time to develop this, but I want you to notice uh, three verses in the book of Proverbs. Keep your hand in Ruth and look at three verses, a series of chain references in Proverbs, beginning in chapter number 17. Proverbs 17 and verse number 17. Proverbs 17 and verse number 17. A friend loveth, finish the verse with me, at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. So a friend loveth at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Look at chapter number 18 and verse number 19. A brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Notice verse number 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now, I don't want to take a long time tonight to develop this, but there's the implication here from what I'm seeing of those three verses that uh, there are times when it seems like in human family relationships that there may be a limitation to the help or the love that a brother will show, but there are special kinds of friends who are going to love at all times and who will stick closer than a brother. I love this about Ruth. It seems that the more Naomi protested and pushed away, the more Ruth doubled down. The Bible tells us in chapter number 1 and verse number 18 of Naomi, when she saw that she, when Naomi saw that Ruth was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. The, The two words steadfastly minded carries with it the idea of she strengthened herself. In other words, as Naomi would say, go back, go back. Look, Orpah went back. Ruth would just, I'm not going. Entreat me not. Don't don't be against me in this. And she would double down, obviously in a good way, a gracious way. By faith, Ruth was seeing what God could do. By faith, Ruth was hoping even as Naomi's vision was clouded. There's another parallel to this in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter number 2, 
when Elijah is about to be taken up to heaven. And again, I won't go into all of the details of this this evening, but I believe that Elijah was carrying some cynicism and some bitterness with him. I love this about Elisha desiring a double portion. And the Lord, through Elijah, had told Elisha that if Elisha was with Elijah, when Elijah was caught up to heaven, that he would get a double portion. And three times, 2 Kings 2 records that Elijah said, just stay here. And Elisha said, I will not leave thee. Just stay here. I will not leave thee. Just stay here. I will not leave thee. And Naomi saw this in Ruth, and it had an impact on her. And so let me say to us, as we think about how we can help a brother or sister bearing bitterness, cling to them in love, even if they try pushing you away. Cling to them in love. A fourth way that Ruth helped Naomi bear her burden of bitterness to come through to a cure was this. She forgave Naomi's attacks. She forgave Naomi's attacks. We've said this before and you've found this to be true. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. As I look at the interaction of Naomi and Ruth, I see four potential areas where Naomi's bitterness could have wounded Ruth deeply. But there's no indication that Ruth let it. In chapter number one, there's the possibility when Naomi says to Ruth, uh, listen, the, the Lord deal kindly with you. And, and the, the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. There's the indication their attitude may have been this. Good luck with that. Didn't work out very well for me. Good luck with that. Sending them back to Moab. Another potential area where Naomi's bitterness could have wounded Ruth was Naomi, as we've already mentioned, Naomi's pushing Ruth away, indicating, I've got no place for you. I've got nothing to offer you. Israel has nothing to offer you. Bethlehem has nothing for you. Just go back. Also, Naomi's heartless perspective of the future could have hurt Ruth. It jumps off the page to me in verse number 15 of chapter 1. And she, Naomi, said to Ruth, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto who? Her gods. Her gods. There's no eternal hope in Moab. None. How do we view Someone who knows the truth, who has the truth, who knows the God of the Bible and understands that eternal hope is available in our New Testament context through Jesus Christ and yet does things in their life that actually pushes people away from eternal hope. Ruth could have gotten upset over that, bitter over that, but she chose to let it go. A fourth potential area where Naomi's bitterness could have wounded Ruth was once they come home, Naomi gave a very thoughtless evaluation of Ruth. In verse number 21, she tells the women of the people of the city of Babylon, I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again. Wait a minute, Naomi. 
Who you got standing right next to you? Ruth, you're empty? With Ruth, the one who will be better to you than seven sons. Ruth, in any number of areas, could have been hurt deeply. But instead, it's obvious that she chose to forgive the attacks. Ruth understood that her hurt, in response to Naomi's hurt, would accomplish nothing good. And so she made the choice, obviously, to forgive, to let it go. I read of a little boy who a man was passing, and the little boy was sitting on a park bench and squirming and writhing around. And the man asked the little boy, what is the problem? He said, I'm sitting on a bumblebee and he's stinging me. And the, little, the man said to the little boy, well, why don't you get off of him? And he said, because I figure I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. What good does that do? When you choose to take up an offense and respond in hurt to someone else who may have thoughtlessly done something that could have hurt you. Based on the full picture of Ruth's theology, from the perspective of a Moabite, I want to give you a synopsis of what I think her attitude was. She had heard in Naomi's happier days that the God of Israel was a God of forgiveness, a God of grace, a God of faithfulness. And if this God would give her her, who was a Moabite, whose people had been banned from the congregation of Israel into the 10th generation, if this God of Israel, in grace and forgiveness, would give her a place under his wings <laughs> and forgive and allow that, then she had no cause or right to hold anything against Naomi. Clara Barton, the founder of the Red Cross, had a friend as they were working together one day, the friend recounted, reminded uh, Clara Barton of a vicious deed that had been committed against Clara several years before. The friend brought it up, and when she looked up to see how it had affected Clara, Clara had a blank look on her face, and it shocked her friend. And the friend said to Clara Barton, Don't you remember that? Clara Barton responded, No, I distinctly remember forgetting that. So we help a friend bear the burden of bitterness by avoiding the offense, not taking it up, by walking in faith even when their vision is clouded, by clinging in love even as they may seek to push away, by forgiving their attacks and remembering that hurting people hurt people and it does no good for me to respond and hurt. Fifthly and finally, we help bear the burden of a brother or sister battling with bitterness when we continue to serve them selflessly and unconditionally. I love how chapter 2 begins. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, the family of Imelech, Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went. And as you read chapter number 2, you realize Ruth becomes this selfless servant who does the lowly task of gleaning. God, through Boaz, blesses her abundantly, pours out his grace on her. Ruth brings it home that night to such an amount that Naomi is shocked. 
She was an old hand. She knew what the average amount was to bring in in a day's gleaning. And when she saw Ruth coming home that night, she knew, he, she knew somebody has been gracious to her because that's more than the normal amount. And the abundant outpouring, the, the waterfall of God's grace on Ruth, even on the second day back, began to spill over onto Naomi and wash away the bitterness. Because Ruth determined to serve selflessly and unconditionally. I was struck by, go with me if you would to Galatians chapter 5. We have Galatians 5 and the last part of verse number 13 painted on a board hanging over our dining room table. We see it every day. Sometimes it's a very convicting reminder. But I want you to notice a connection that really illustrates what we've just seen in the book of Ruth. Galatians 5 and verse number 13, there was a lot of contention taking place among the believers in the churches of Galatia. Notice verse number 13. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. There were believers that were using their privilege as their liberty for their own selfish ends, and it was hurting other believers. So what does Paul say as the remedy? But by love serve one another. You want to fix the contention problem? Somebody be a loving servant. The word serve here is the Greek word doulos, which speaks of the lowest form of serving. But by love serve one another. Notice verse number 14. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one another, one of another. This I say, then walk in the spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And remember from later on in chapter number 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. You walk in the fruit of the Spirit. You walk in the Spirit, His fruit, and love is going to be produced. And it will motivate you to serve, to slave one another. And Paul directly correlates it to unraveling contention among God's people. When there is contention, when there is strife, when there is bitterness, if somebody will just step up and say, you know what, I'm going to be the love slave around here. Not looking for what I can get out of this. I'm just going to serve. And I'm going to do it by love. I'm going to slave. Even if it looks like I'm getting walked on, like people are treating me like a doormat. The Bible connection is this, is that when somebody serves, and Ruth illustrates that, when somebody has that attitude, it has an amazing way of diffusing bitterness and unraveling contention. What a transformation came over Naomi in a relatively short amount of time, 10 years or more getting into the bitterness. And then from chapter 1 to chapter 4 of the book of Ruth, less than a year before, she's sitting holding baby boy Obed in her lap. And the women of Bethlehem are referring to that baby Obed not as a son born to Ruth, but a son born to Naomi. From bitterness... To blessing. Yes, it's the work of God, but he used the human instrument of Ruth. The presidential election of 1860 was a bitter election. It was a gloves-off election. Abraham Lincoln 
narrowly won the election among four candidates. One of his bitterest rivals in the election that he defeated was a man named Edwin Stanton. In the course of the campaigning, Edwin Stanton, Edwin Stanton referred to Abraham Lincoln as the original gorilla because of his long, lanky arms. He made fun of him. And yet, after Lincoln had been confirmed to have won the presidency, he shocked many people by making Edwin Stanton a member of his cabinet and appointing him as Secretary of War. And you tell me how important that would be in the next few years. He did so because of Edwin Stanton's organizational abilities. And though their relationship was not perfect, they became friends and worked together until Lincoln's re-election and assassination. It is said of Edwin Stanton as he stood looking at Lincoln laying in state, Edwin Stanton, the man who had originally called Abraham Lincoln the original gorilla, as he stood and saw Abraham Lincoln's body laying in state, He was reported to have said this, There lies the most perfect ruler of men the world has ever seen. Now, we will not debate the merits of that statement. But here is the point that I will make. It is a testimony to the power of Abraham Lincoln's forgiveness and Abraham Lincoln's reaching out to a man that he could have been bitter, a man who was bitter against him, And it proves that when you do that, there can be an amazing transformation that takes place. A man went from calling Abraham Lincoln the original gorilla to calling him the most perfect ruler of men that ever there was. Now, I'm glad to tell you that we have supernatural help as we seek to help bear the burden of bitterness in a brother or sister's life. We've been given a wonderful example in Ruth and Naomi. And so let us determine when God has it in his plan for us to interact with a brother or sister who's battling with bitterness, let us determine that we're going to follow the pattern that Ruth models for us in Ruth chapter 1 and 2. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for how you've challenged my heart preparation for this message this evening. I pray that it will be used for many years, months and years to come to be a a light for us, a guide for us as we interact with those who are battling bitterness. Help us to be a burden bearer and to so fulfill the law of Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. The one who bore our burden on the cross. And may we do this all for his glory. Amen.